Hi everyone, and thank you so much for listening to the Girls Who VC podcast. Girls Who VC is the first organization dedicated to bringing young women into venture capital. My name is Isabella Mandis, and I'm the founder and CEO of Girls Who VC. On this episode, we have Isabel Seal and Victoria Kennedy, who talk about building seed to harvest ventures and promoting equality in the venture space. Hope you enjoy. Thank you so much, Isabel and Victoria, for coming on this podcast. I'm super excited for you guys to talk about your experiences with Seed to Harvest Ventures and everything else that you guys are doing. Could you start off by both telling us a little bit about yourselves and your background? Yeah, definitely. My name is Isabel. My background is in product design. I've been in the industry for about 13 years, working out of the Bay Area. I'm originally from Indiana. I moved out here after college. And I've always wanted to work in tech. My expertise has really been in that product market fit to growth stage. I started in engineering, then was in design, and then I've done a little project management, but always come back to software design. I love it so much. I've also been in the B2B space mostly in my career. A lot of times when I've come in the stage of coming in at companies is they have just gone through like a price round, they're going to grow, but their technical infrastructure doesn't allow them to. So I spent many years figuring out how to work with legacy systems to set them up for long-term scalability and growth. Outside of that, I have a two-year-old. Victoria and I, oh, Victoria and I met actually seven years, six years ago, sorry, working for a company called Hustle, which was the first peer-to-peer texting platform. So if you ever get a text around election season, you are welcome. That was us. Started out great, got out of hand, but she and I built out the New York office and grew the team across engineering, product, and design and built out the enterprise offering. So since then, we've always kept in touch, but loved working together. Saw a lot of the same problems in tech too, that or just felt the same way about a lot of things in tech and in our careers. And I think bonded over that and our working style and being really team oriented and caring about people in tech, which is becoming more of a conversation, but really wasn't when we were in working together. That's how I got to where I am now. And we can talk about the fund and stuff later. Yeah. So my name is Victoria Kennedy. I'm originally from Atlanta and I actually started my career in tech very odd, not very odd, but I was actually really focused on like health and I still have a sort of plan to be a doctor in my 40s or maybe a physician's assistant. Um, but I was really interested in the community health, international health, but didn't want to be a doctor right away. I decided to go into tech. So I was like, oh, maybe there's something interesting with tech and healthcare. I didn't go into healthcare. I actually went, joined a gaming company, but that's actually where I discovered product and kind of fell with that, in love with the idea of going with the game. So I joined, I joined a game that was in its beta and they became the highest grossing game at the company. When I led a lot of the monetization efforts because I was curious about how can I make money off, like how do you make money? And so I took my relationship that I was building as a community manager and figured out how do we like monetize that effectively, which got me into product. And I continued that that cadence where I would come in, build a product from like idea to like product market fit. I've done that at early stage startups as well as Fortune 50 companies as a consultant. So companies like Goldman Sachs and NBC. And then I decided to move into venture, which is what Isabel and I are doing now. Outside of work context, I split my time between New York, LA and any other place that is warm at the time that I am there. 
I really like to dance and I like to cook and I don't have kids, but I have a lot of nieces and nephews, both blood related and not. And it's so fun. I'm a great auntie. That's great. You are a good auntie. <laughs> That's awesome. Thank you. So we've touched on Seed to Harvest Ventures a little bit. So can you guys speak about what you're building and how you're working to promote equality in the venture space? Sure. So Seed to Harvest Ventures, we are pre-seed and seed stage fund that invests in women of color building software-enabled companies. So we think about a lot, like we're not an impact fund, but we think a lot about impact because that's just like who we are. And a lot of what we think about and why we focus on women of color is because we saw the largest opportunity for growth. So women of color are the largest group of emerging founders, but they're the least funded in the VC ecosystem. They also build companies thinking about building like sustainable profit focused business instead of like, how do we drive up the number of users with free accounts and spend like just assume we're going to get VC dollars, right? They're really focused on like, how do I actually build a business that will scale that I can build a team off the revenue that it generates. And we are, we really think these are the type of businesses that will succeed long term, and we won't be invested in them. But with our skills, we really saw that there was like a deep need from for founders to have really value add investors. Like a lot of investors, their value is around, they have really strong finance backgrounds and they can build a network with other VCs and other potential like mentors, but they don't have, they're not practicing doing a lot of the practical help that founders need. And there's not a lot of good product development advice out there for founders. Like most of it is like what they do at Netflix and Google and Netflix and Google haven't been a five person startup in 20 years. So it's not really helpful to you to do what they do, even though it works great for them, right? It's like you're a team of one to two to even 10, right? That's not what you can do. And like, we have a lot of practice doing that. And so we bring that expertise to founders and we bring that value add that's really missing in the ecosystem. And then to your point about like how we think about bring equity. So something we think a lot about is ownership. So when we say we invest and women of color, they need to be at least 50% of the founder cap table. A lot of organizations will say like they have to be on the team or an executive or one of the listed founders, but they still might only have 6% equity in a company or 12%, right? So they're not a meaningful, they don't necessarily mean that they're not necessarily a meaningful decision maker at those early stages. And that's what we're looking for in order to have the effectiveness, right, of the signal we think women of color building these great companies are doing. They need to be effective owners of it. But we also think about it in the way that like we generate and like the wealth that we generate from the fund that we're building. And so we have a campaign to really get more women of color to become LPs, hopefully in our fund, but also in funds in general, because we think that that's also the only way that VC is really going to diverse. Like you've heard a lot of stats around how diverse fund managers tend to divert to, even if they're not, even if their fund isn't directly focused on diversity, but tend to invest in more diverse founders. The same thing is at the LP level for investing in funds until that pool of capital diversifies, it's going to be a lot harder for the fund managers to diversify, at, especially at ownership level, and then to also that downstream to the founders. So we're really conscious of those like feedback loops and we, as much as we can, we want to make sure that we're making it possible to diversify at all of those levels. So just adding on to that too, like Victoria touched on kind of like the three main players. So we have the LP side that we try and be really intentional about GPs in addition to like how we're also creating a network of emerging like fund managers and then founders. And then outside of that as well, we care a lot about the VC space and about creating access to it. So we have a podcast called Adventures in Funland where we just talk about 
our experience creating a fund, a lot of there's so much nuance, there's different things to think about at different stages. And there's not really like a guide to do it. And so Googling it is not going to give you a starting point. So that's something that we care a lot about is like reinvesting, but also making it easier for people to understand it, take away that layer of gatekeeping that can sometimes occur. Um, And then with founders, we also do office hours. So we meet with any founder that's looking for product or design or product development advice. A lot of this is a huge gap that we've seen in the VC industry where there's a ton of support for founders, especially in that fundraising phase, which is awesome. I think as an industry overall, there's been such an up-leveling in the amount of information available and just like techniques, tactics, and like programming support. But once founders get that capital, there's a huge gap in like how to use that effectively, strategically, what you need and what stage you're at. So bringing in that really tie, and this is where Victoria and I excel, is tying the business to the product and how to bring both along for the appropriate fundraising and rounds that you want to do. That's incredible. I love how you guys are doing those office hours and you led perfectly into my next question, which you guys touched on a little bit earlier talking about your backgrounds. But just reiterating, Victoria, you have more product experience while Isabel has design experience. So I can think of plenty of ways how this makes you valuable investors. But in your own words, how do you think this is really making you unique and stand out? I was actually at a conference last week and they were saying how people with design experience and product experience are the best combo of both founders and investors. And I was thinking, oh my goodness, I'm going to be talking about this on my podcast next week. So I'd love to hear about your guys' experience in that like duo. Yeah, I think what makes us really valuable is that one, we've worked together, we've built product together. Victoria and I's career have both been just entirely on building and shipping and bringing to market. So between the two of us, we've brought about 20 different products to market, zero to one. I've done a lot of that zero to one within an existing company. Victoria has done a lot of that zero to one new product. So we just have a lot of experience on what it takes to create that. As investors, though, this gives us a huge edge because we are able to dig into the actual product and assess and understand its viability for growth, scalability, and if it's really solving the problem that a company or a founder is trying to solve. So this allows to dig in a different way. And founders will see this during like how we diligence and how we evaluate. We'll meet with folks, but we ask for product demos. We talk about your tech stack. We want to understand if you're doing no code and at what point. So again, what Victoria was talking about earlier, we're able to get in and be very tactical and have a tactical understanding. For example, if someone's in a pitch and they're saying, and we all know this, like there has to be some element of smoke and mirrors and selling and vision especially in these early stages, but there is a big difference between that being grounded in like what you currently have and a founder's real understanding of how to build and get there. So when a founder says, yeah, we're going to build this platform and then we'll just, we're just going to build a community. We'll just get the community. We built communities. We know that takes two to four years at to at minimum of like steady and intentional growth and programming. And when I'm talking to a team of two, And I'm talking to a founder, I'm like, are you going to be doing that? That's a full-time job. How will you run your business? So there are these little elements that we're able to dig into that I think folks with more of an operations or 
maybe like ancillary. And again, we focus on software. That's what we know. So folks with those like ancillary roles outside of engineering product and design just don't know what questions to ask or how to evaluate on that level. Yeah, I think the key area is that like we actually, even though we're a younger firm, like we get in because we actually help founders level up. Like we can assess really what are like companies that really have, even at those early stages, like you don't have a lot of metrics, right? <laughs> you don't have metrics, you don't have a history. And so early stage investors really need to make a call on that founder and what they've built so far. And because we've done this so many times, we understand like what are like the people skills that founder need in order to build a great product and therefore build a great company, but also what are the things that they need to understand about product, knowing that they don't necessarily have those skills, right? But there's still a level of product sense. Do you really think about the customer that you're working with? Do you really think about understanding better than anyone else? We look for those types of signals to develop, to understand who their best founders to invest in, and then we help up-level them to de-risk our investments. And so I think that's the really powerful thing about what we're doing is that it's not just finding the right finding the right founders and finding the right teams, but finding the right deals that we can then also up-level so that we continue to get our returns and we hopefully make it easier for those downstream investors and, and for our people who invested in us. That's incredible. I love that. And going to when you were building this fund, can you talk about the process of what it's even to put together a fund and get investment from LPs? And what is that whole process like? Because that's something that's not really talked about and made accessible for many people. Honestly, it's chaos and overwhelming, but in a very fun way, because it's really you're building a business. So the biggest thing that I feel like I've learned that I don't think I ever could have been prepared for coming in is like you've got say three main lanes founder fundraising and then operations and admin like housekeeping stuff which can swell and be really huge with a small team for us what I didn't realize is I thought it was like all right you're gonna go in and you're gonna fundraise then you're gonna get the money and then you'll find the founders and you'll do that. But the reality is that you have to do all those things at once and you've got to make frequent calls on where to push more or pull back for opportunistically. So for example, you start LP conversations or getting starting to network and talk to more folks who could be potential investors. They want to understand what type of companies you're seeing. So you've got to kick off that founder sourcing. That's learning about sourcing and outbound and inbound. Office hours is a huge lever for us on this. We actually just did it because we were at a point where we we really just wanted to feel confident and good about the work. Like we know how to do product and design and product development. So let's get that confidence boost while we're doing this really brand new thing. And so then we have to engage with founders to talk about deals. And then you've got all of this housekeeping stuff and the actual formation and legal and all of that. So it's not, it's funny because we talk about it and like none of it is really particularly difficult work, but the volume is so big and it's such a relationship based industry that I think we get, I don't want to say overwhelmed, but there are certain points where you're just like, I've got conversations going with 35 people right now email it's really just like how can you stay on top of your processes and for us it's been just like every month we check in what are our goals for this month where are we pulling something back pushing something forward and keeping it going that way so that it doesn't feel overloaded for yeah. anything to add there <laughs> but i think too if you're thinking about getting started like there's what isabel's also alluding to 
that unlike building a venture backable company or like a normal quote unquote startup, like we're founders, but we're also founders who aren't building a business that generates revenue to pay ourselves. We have to fundraise and collect fees and think of, and I think that's a really important thing to think about if you're trying to understand building out a fund, because like you're not, the product is your thesis, your idea, your fund, and the work that you have to do starts even before you think about it, which is like, why would anyone give me X amount of money to invest? And that's usually either because you built track record by working as a VC or an angel investor, or for us, it's like our operational expertise that we have to translate into like, how does this generate revenue? And therefore that's like why you should invest in us. But really the, the first part is really taking a look at like your experience and trying to understand like, is it valuable to building out a fund to invest in other people? And if you think it is and you start getting that understanding, then you start talking to people like potential LPs and getting that feedback. But like the basic thing you need to think about before is really what is the fund? So what do you want to invest in? What size of fund do you think you need to make those investments? And those are the two things you need. And then there's you put a deck together, right? That's actually the first step is like getting that deck together and getting that feedback. And then you want to quote unquote soft circle, like start to get investment interest around people who like are willing to maybe do that, which aren't usually going to be like the institutional names you hear, like Pivotal Ventures or like Equity Alliance. It's usually going to be like smaller family offices if you have those networks and like high net worth individuals if you have those networks as well. And so it's a lot of actually like thinking and preparing to get started and not until you're pretty confident then like the thing that comes in is the legal documentation. So having an LPA, having your term sheet, having the documentation to really start the fund. And so unlike being a founder where it's like there's like a like a tech founder or even like a small business founder, right? There's a clear path to starting a business with VC is so strange because there's not a real clear path. You basically have to build momentum to validate if you should build this business. And then you have to do, as Isabel said, three different things at all times to then get that business afloat. Yeah. Also, don't be fooled by how simple it sounds. Oh, just soft circle and do this. We just did a decoration and it's been, I think, maybe 14, 15 months now that we've had That's just a year. A year? Yeah. Yeah. And like, I feel the most confident I felt about it. Like, it's just this stuff takes forever. Like, getting a deck to a place where you can even soft circle takes time. It's getting a lot of feedback. And like Toria said, it's seeing where you can build momentum. But this isn't like one surge. It's like you'll see a little momentum in these tiny little aspects that you then have to like fold in and continuously like evolve until you feel like you're getting a lot of the reaction that you want from what you're offering all of that like it does take a lot of time and especially if you don't come from bc like that networking piece so much of what you're going to do in the beginning is just meeting people being a face out there being a name out there and how are you also building your brand so that people can get to know you and then like trust that you're committed and doing it and start to introduce you as well and how do you guys go about the process of meeting these startups and then deciding which companies are actually worth investing in? I'll jump into that. So that's like the very first point, like starting point there in terms of meeting companies is just how we source. So we do inbound and outbound sourcing. Inbound sourcing is like our office hours. It's what's coming to us. We have our podcast. We do PR and marketing. 
we speak at different industry events, so design and product specific, but also VC, emerging manager events, and just attending conferences too. So that that's actually been like a great way to get out there. Oh, and we host our own events. So last year we piloted founder events where we did our lot office hours live, both in Oakland and LA, and then the happy hour and panel, like AMA style for product development. So that's been, those have all been really great ways. Outbound, it's really through our networks and professional, and I'd say like industry networks that we've just built and become a part of over the, like our careers. And especially in the last few years, more in that VC focused space. And again, that sounds super simple, but like, those are all the channels. And then we got, we do deal reviews once a week with all the new deals that come in and going, so that's just the sourcing part. And then I can jump into our like pre-investment process and what that looks like with companies. So we typically start with an intro call there. We're really evaluating, like, I'd say the top three points of just like, what is the problem? Can you clearly articulate that, that you're trying to solve? Who is this problem for? And is your solution actually solving that? What kind of traction do you have? Do you have users or revenue? Just what's your progress to date? And then obviously we'll talk about like the other factors in terms of market size and business model, et cetera. But we're really just looking to get a feel for how that founder is talking about their company and what they're building. From there, if we're interested, we'll write a quick one pager. So we just have that documented based off of what we were able to gather in that first meeting and any materials that they've sent us. We also have an intake form. So all of the key info is standardized for us. Victoria, yeah. do you want to add something? I think just like high level thinking about, as well pointed out, like inbound versus like outbound, we developed, I think a big important for other people thinking about this is like, we had to develop our process over time. Like when we started for our first two investments, we met with them like five or six times and we both just had to get comfortable with, of, okay, what are we really looking for? Where do we disagree versus what are some things that you see versus what I see? Like how, what are we actually looking for? What process do we want? What's manageable for two people and not a team of 10, right? Cause you'll talk to some VCs and they're yeah. like, we do this thing. And you're like, oh, and they're like, wait, we don't have that kind of time. Um, and so I, I think just like our process is really reflective of who we are, how we make decisions in the team that we have. And I think it will probably continue to evolve in some way over time as we grow and as our team grows. But I think the core of it was really like, how do we make the best investment decisions? And that's really- How are we the most confident in the decision that we're going to make? Yeah super glossed over. It's an intro call. It's a product demo. It's an hour long deep dive. Depending on how quickly we're trying to move, sometimes there's some downtime or they're not actively fundraising. So we try and keep in touch with companies that we're interested in. This gives us a great way, especially at pre-seed and seed to see how they progress over a few months. These companies move incredibly quickly. So that gives also gives us confidence. And then if we're interested after that hour long deep dive, or and don't have any follow-ups will go into diligence and with that we start diligence from day one so with that it's really crossing the t's and dotting the i's and making sure that there are no legal red flags scotches etc can you go in a little bit deeper on what diligence is and what that looks like it's funny because I think it means something different to everyone it's like one of those terms that everyone uses like they're like we're looking for the best founders you're like what is best yeah mean? For us, we like to say diligence starts 
from day one, like we're constantly trying to figure out like, how do we weed out people? Like, how do we just focus on the people that we really want to focus on? Like technically for us, like you don't enter due diligence until after that, at least that third meeting. And that like, we have an intake form where we ask for like your data room, like information on your fundraising efforts. Cause that'll change over time. So do you have a lead investor? What are you actually raising? How much have you closed? What's the valuation? If there's not an evaluation agreement, like we'll have to have that conversation references. And then like we go through, but the important part process for us outside of just information gathering is sitting down and writing our investment memo, which really details out like, what is our confidence in this investment from all these different mm -hmm. perspectives? And does it make sense for us? Even if it's a great investment, right? It still not make, not make sense for us as a fund, given the size of our fund, given the kind of checks we can write, given what our return profiles are. So diligence in and of itself is, can look different for everyone the basic things are usually getting access to your data room getting referrals and like really making a decision on as a fund as whether it's a good investment but like how each fund goes about it is going to be a slightly different and what is your long-term vision for your firm in one year five years ten years where do you guys hope to be together yeah that's a good question i think the product person in me is 10-year plans. That's a bad idea. Yeah. Uh, I was like, don't you build a 10-year roadmap? That's crazy. But I think we are building we are building institutional level funds. So we want this to be a multi-fund firm that we build. We really see like the areas of growth that we know we want are really around like women of color. Right now we're focused on North America, but eventually want to be global. And so we're not sure if it'll be the next fund or if we'll parse it out a little bit, but eventually want to be a global fund, really globally investing in women of color. I think like also growing our team is going to be great because then it won't just be us too. And then the temporary people we have. But I think when we talk a lot about we're both really systems thinkers and thinkers and going back to what we talked about earlier, Really, it's like, how can we affect like the system change in the tech and venture ecosystem so that we can start building the tech and venture ecosystem we wish we both could have worked in. And then that means like being a big player and all those different points of change that we see. So something a lot of people don't realize, Seed to Harvest is actually an Octavia Butler reference. I'm a huge Octavia Butler fan. And one thing she talks a lot about that I think a lot about is the idea of shaping change. Everything is always changing, like the only constant is change. So like, how do you shape it in a way? And so I think we both think a lot about it. Okay, if we want to change something, how do we shape it and put the right things into the world so it goes in the direction we want it to go? And so that's why we talk a lot about yeah. like ownership at the founder level, ownership at the LP level, and like how do we become like a bigger and bigger player in that? is really exciting to us. And I think we always talk about too, like how it's probably not just gonna be a fund. It'll probably be a lot of different things, but like the specifics of what that looks like, that's open. But I think for both of us, it's really around like, how do we, how we get to that vision is a little bit unclear, but like, we know that we wanna see that change and seeing that intersectional like ecosystem that is generating capital for more than just one type of person. And it's also a bit more sustainable on that growth at all costs. Yeah, specifically on the growth at all costs part as well, and touching on building the tech industry we wish we could have come up in. I think it's really like modeling. And why we've landed on a fund is because as a GP, we sit right in the middle of this relationship ecosystem web between money coming in and money getting generated and returning. So 
we are able to influence and impact a lot there in who we want to accept money from, modeling what we think should be a standard, but also the types of companies that are being built and that we want to invest in. So this lets us influence, even if it's like 100 companies over the course of a couple funds, like this is helping us influence a step change in the industry that is centered around people and a winning team is going to build you a winning company and a winning product and like caring about people and just if enough companies are doing this as the standard like that will only multiply it's a multiplier and amplifier in my opinion yeah it's like we we talk so much about an ecosystem and a community and i think we've been just pulling in and building this corner of the industry the way that we want it and it takes i think a little longer to do it that way but a lot of people are interested in it a lot of people gravitate towards it we find so many especially in the new like wave of emerging man- fund managers that are coming up like there's so much change happening right now it's really exciting time in venture so yeah like victoria said it might be more than just funds and we've set ourselves up to be able to do that but that's because i think for us it's really being able to have the fund and then also be like nimble enough to respond to any other opportunities that we see. That's incredible. And what are some challenges or roadblocks that you face in this challenging experience and how have you or are you working to overcome them? Yeah, I think a big thing we both talk about a lot with each other and publicly is like just the opaqueness of this industry. Like the hardest part about VC is like understanding whatever it actually is and what the different players are and there's so much flexibility too that again is also behind a gate and so we have our podcast which is called adventures in Fundland, because we want to share experience and help people understand more about how this works because if it's less opaque that means more people can join but i think that is honestly like a huge blocker because it's hard to get involved in something where you don't even know how to get involved but even just like, so I like raise our focus on more of our, our fundraising side. And I think some obstacles have been like, just like clarity on who's actually investing. People say they love emerging managers, but that can mean people doing first time funds, or that can mean people who are experienced fund managers raising their first fund, one, two, three, and four. <laughs> like everyone uses, again, uses these terms, but defines them very differently. And so finding the right product market fit with investors can be hard. And I think too, like something we grow that's like more, think about on a more like personal level is like just the level of like growth and you have to do all the time with something like this. As PM, as like product people, we're always like telling founders and telling ourselves like you focus on one thing at a time, but you like, you just can't do that with this. So you have to figure out how do you juggle these things in a way that like, how do you juggle founders fundraising and running the firm? all at the same time. And obviously it gets better as you grow because you can designate to other people. But in the beginning, it's a really hard thing to manage. And sometimes you don't like do it well, but you also have to grow and pick yourself up and be like, okay, I didn't do well this month, but here's next month. So I got to do it differently. So I think those are the obstacles that I, that come to mind for me. I'd echo the same thing. We talk about this all like every week, like the amount, I'd say the amount of personal growth and I wouldn't call it personal growth for sure. And just having to be intentional and self-aware because you are building a business. And it's, I think it's that intentionality that like, it doesn't let up. Like 
in order at least for us to be successful, I feel like we have to be on top of these things all the time to a level that I've not really experienced in any other job or working relationship. And we've had practice with this. Honestly, like I talk about this all the time. I could not be doing this with anyone other than Victoria because we work together so well and know how to navigate that and are, have so much that we're like the foundation was so strong that building off of that, like I think starting from zero and getting to where we are today would be impossible in the amount of time that we've been doing the fund. So that is such a huge aspect to our success. And then also just not a roadblock, but something that's like, I, we're coming from a tech, a, it's an adjacent industry. And for the amount that VC puts into the tech industry, there's shocking little crossover understanding of what that industry actually does or needs to function for successful companies. And so crossing over, it's just been a new learning. It's a new network. It's a new, it just takes time. And so I think it wasn't a roadblock, but it took me about half a year to realize like anything that we're going to set into motion, any initiative, any new thing we want to try is going to take three months minimum to implement and start to see any yield on, to be able to even make an informed decision on things. So we move quickly all the time, but the industry doesn't. And so it takes time for things to develop and grow and flourish. Whereas coming from tech, it's like, all right, let's try this. Let's do it. Let's put it in motion. We're getting it. And it's constant. It's felt a little different in DC. And what are some of your favorite companies or investments that you've made that you've seen? Particularly, I'm interested if there are any like female founders that you guys are following and recommend people check out. Yeah, so we can talk about the two investments that we've made, and then we have to be a little bit more vague on like pipeline stuff. But so we made two investments so far. The first one is in a company called Philly, which short form is basically like the Zola for the baby industry, really like early parenthood from getting pregnant to the first couple of years of life, so baby updates, birthdays, registries, all of that. And what we really liked about them is they had a really gamification approach to it. And so they have a game called the gender reveal game where people place a bet, the gender of the baby, and people raise about 50% more doing so. Um, and so we've just been really amazed at the adaptability of Kim, who's a black woman in Atlanta, who started this, who just really understands like her customers super well, both as a mother, but as someone who's really curious about understanding her customers and constantly getting in contact with them and constantly just educate. Like the first, I remember the first call we had with her, we actually sourced her from our office, found our office hours. <laughs> we sourced her from there. But the first we were like, oh, this is interesting. Let's have a real conversation about it. She like, I think she spent five minutes talking about mothers and like baby industry. And we were just like, she knows so much about this, <laughs> like to an unhealthy degree, but like, in a way that as an investor is amazing, right? Cause I'm like, I know that she might not have the right answer now, but she'll do the work to make sure she gets the right answer. And that's what we're looking for. And so I think what's interesting in this space, especially coming from a gaming context, there's a, I think there's a lot of like gaming and like sports betting companies that are sports and esports related companies that are being started by women, particularly women of color that I'm very excited about. Um, because not that even like a big esports person, but I think 
those industries that generate so much money but have such a like narrow focal point of who their industry is are so ripe for disruption. I think a lot about uh, Nintendo when they brought out the Wii, like gaming at that time was so focused on like the stereotype was like dirty men in their like mom's basement playing PlayStation for 14 hours. And Nintendo was like, we're gonna make a game that like anyone can do. And it's like kind of silly and they made so much money off of it. But I think coming in with a different perspective, which most women of color have, is like so important and so helpful for disrupting these kind of industries where there's a lot of capital, but not a lot of differentiation. That's awesome. And what do you guys see as the landscape of female entrepreneurship and investing in female-led startups and how that's evolving now and in the future? This is a good question. In terms of female entrepreneurship, we we know that at least women of color, largest growing group of entrepreneurs, but women are a huge base in who is starting companies, who's starting businesses. When we tie that to VC, I think there, it's funny where we sit, we're in this, like, we focus on women of color, but we're not an impact fund, but we see the impact fund kind of landscape. And the impression is that there's so many diversity funds, impact funds. And I say diversity because women are typically included in that. And there's not in relative to the industry itself. I think it's a newer phenomenon the last couple of years, and we've seen growth in that area. But again, it's not, it's not widely, obviously, we know the 2% number, 2% it's still 2%. Exactly. So it's, Capital may be going to women, but it's from already. And again, this is what we talk about influencing the ecosystem. It's coming from a limited number of funds. And those funds that weren't investing in women before probably aren't now, or they add one, like women, white women, especially tend to just be that diversity. Like, great, we have a couple women in the portfolio. But I think with that, there's, there's, some VCs that are never going to change. It's how do we widen the pool of capital that's coming into the funds that can fund women. And I think my answer now is a lot different than where I was a year ago, but we have this with the market that we're going after. Women of color are the next billion consumers. Like, Why wouldn't you invest in people building for that market? But the same thing with women. It's like the more people that don't invest in there, the more opportunity there is to get in. We have, and when we talk about companies we're excited about, we have so many B2B companies, consumer companies built by women of color, cybersecurity, healthcare and wellness, fintech, femtech, we're seeing it all. And if people don't want to make money investing in those companies, that's great for us. But at the same time, on the industry level, it's not great. There are roadblocks, there's biases, and it's something that I think isn't going to change overnight, to be honest. Yeah. And we talk about this too personally. It's like, there's a reason that those narratives exist, right? It's not like these things are happening in a vacuum or not because of no, some like willful intention, right? Like, I don't think there's like too many, there's probably some, but there's not too many people going around being like, no one but white men, like in my firm. But if everyone's just pattern matching and they never explicitly confront what their patterns are, right. A dude who went to Stanford or maybe dropped out of Harvard if we're feeling frisky, who lives in New York or San Francisco. If you never actually dig deep into that, then you can keep on perpetuating the problem without actually taking any responsibility for it. And so I think there also has to be a willingness, not just to say, like, we talk about this too with even investing in diverse fund managers, right? A lot of people talk about like investing in diverse fund managers, 
but they still maintain the same patterns that they've been using for the past 15, 20 years. And if you're looking for those patterns for a group of people who are new to the industry, you're most likely not going to find that pattern very often. So you're not actually going to diversify the industry. You're going to have more black and brown and like women of all black and brown men and women of all like races who just have the same pattern matching as the white men that you identified with. Right. And so you're not really diversifying it. You're just like making things look better. So you feel better. And if you actually want to make those systems changes, the biggest like obstacles for emerging fund managers are like getting to their first close and being able to sustain themselves financially. Right. Because you're not making income while you fundraise, which usually takes anywhere from 18 to 24 months. And so knowing that like, what are meaningful ways that you can actually address those problems? And I think for me, what's really important is like people's like actually focusing on the real like root problems of things. And I'm hoping that's starting to change. Like we're hope we're starting to hear about like fund manager programs that are actually giving money to fund managers, like the Catalyze program. A recast actually just announced a new program called Accelerate, where you get into the program, you get 100K as a fund manager to help pay for the legal bills, the vendor bills, like all the things you still have to pay for while you're not making any money. So it's, I think there's starting to be a shift in really focusing on that. But I think where we were, especially a year ago, was everyone was really focused on it. Yeah, of course, we want more diverse fund managers, of course, we want more diverse founders, but not necessarily thinking about like, how do you actually move the needle on that? How do you actually make changes? And hopefully it'll continue that way. And I think we'll both just continue to be loud about it until it happens. Yeah. To your point, Victoria, you'll see a fund saying, great, we want to, let's get more women in our portfolio. But they're sourcing from the same places, the same YC accelerator, the same schools, the same this, the same that. So again, you're not really making change. You're doing nothing and expecting a different result. So A lot of that comes from sourcing. I think another element though, too, and especially that we see with women of color specifically, uh, is just not knowing that VC is an option because it's not been for so long. So there is a big shift happening right now and has been for the last couple of years, but it's like women of color tend to build more profitable companies because they have less support and those companies are profitable earlier on but they also then don't explore funding as an option because of that, because of the constraints that have been put in place by the system that we're in. So it's just, there's so many different pieces, I think, to this picture. And what I'll say is what's exciting is like, you're always gonna have the old guard in an industry, but I will say that the newer guard that's coming in right now of funds and emerging managers are sourcing differently, are meeting people where they're at, doing things more remote in terms of working with founders, starting like we do our own events in cities and tap into existing like networks and ecosystems that are more localized since we are like bi-coastal and have always just operated remotely ever since we've worked together. So there, there is a step change occurring. It's just such like a, it's like adding on a chunk to an existing industry. And in that you really do have to rebuild it in certain ways because like we've both kind of mentioned, it's like you, to actually make a change, you have to play the game a little differently. That's super insightful. And to close off, I'd love to hear both of your advice for either female founders or aspiring venture capitalists, anything that you wish you knew when you were younger and getting involved in the space that you think some of our members would appreciate. Yes. Okay, so for VC, 
if you are even thinking about being interested in VC and you happen to be making enough money to be qualified as accredited investor, so 200k more a year, start investing small amounts or trying to understand. The track record piece is just something that takes a really long time. I didn't have this coming in. I was just like, let's do it. We're going, we'll figure this out. And it's not been the number one blocker to us, but it's something that definitely slows down the conversations and is a really strong signal. Even, even with newer LPs, like that is an anchoring signal. VC was like, VC is really aligned with how I wanted my career to be in the future, but it was never like the goal. And so that's been something I've been like now recalibrating towards. One piece of advice for female founders is price more than you think. Always try and charge a little more. Don't undersell yourself. What we see a lot with female founders or founders of color is you are just trying to get in the room. A huge roadblock is also just selling, especially with business software. So just getting into the room is huge, but then you want to price low so that you, people think they should price low so that they will get those pilots and those contracts, but that can do long-term damage. There's a way to play around with that, but it feels very scary, but just don't price yourself too low because your business won't succeed then. And so that's something we coach so many founders on all the time. And it would be my number one advice. Yeah. If I would think advice to VC, like to Isabel's point, like about track record, I actually would start building those relationships. So you're never more friendly to other people and by friendly to them, like they'll never more tell you information than if you are not actually in their industry or not trying to do what they do. So True. like when I first started thinking about seed to harvest, I literally contacted first round capital. I had a relationship with them from a product master class I did with them a couple years ago. And I literally just, I'm thinking about doing this thing. Can you introduce me to people? And they introduced me to the five people who introduced me to another five people. And I was just like, this seems dumb. Why is this dumb? And they're like, let me tell you why this is dumb. And everyone was just so clear and open and transparent and honest with me because I was just someone asking to learn more. And so people like start building those relationships super early and asking questions and like getting as much insight as you can beforehand, because it's so much easier to then activate those relationships when you really want to start building this than to like build new relationships and then activate them to either fundraise or be someone who reaches out for you all at the same time. Thinking about founders as well took the one I was going to do. No, that's fine. I think for female founders, be careful with your time. There's a lot of people who want to like say they invest in female founders or want a female founder to show up at whatever event they are, but they're not actually going to give you the money that you need to build this business. And so I think especially for the woman of color who we focus on, there's just pressure to feel like, oh, like I'm never in the room, right? So I got to be in the room whenever I'm asked. But, and I think I've even felt this myself sometimes where you're doing things for free, like especially speaking engagements, like, but if things are costing you, whether that's like financially or spiritually or mentally, more than you're gaining from them, say no. Being a badass businesswoman is proof enough. So if something isn't serving you, like if something doesn't feel right, say no to it. If someone's wasting, if someone's using a lot of your time, but you're not getting a lot out of it, say no. And it sucks and it doesn't feel great. And you feel like, oh, maybe I'm moving on this relationship. But it just means that you have more time to do the things that are actually move your business forward and find the right people who will be your biggest champions. 
because you'll find them. It just, it takes longer though, if you're talking to everyone instead of the people who actually yeah. care about what you're doing. Quality over quantity for sure. And then also an expense. It's if you're not practicing that early, it just snowballs in the wrong way for you as a person. So, and we even have that too. It's if your time and energy is too great, like we can't run a business if we're burning ourselves out all the time. So even bringing that into practice is so critical. And it's something that like the best and worst part about this industry, both on VC and the founder side is that there's no one clear cut path. You'll get like the Google result, build a fund and then form the fund and fundraise and then invest. And then that's it. But everyone's path is so nuanced, which is like difficult because there's not a lot to look to. Everyone's success looks different, but it is an exercise in trusting yourself enough and having enough conviction in what you're doing that like you'll get to where you want to go. And I think for founders as well, it's like you don't have to do every meeting. Like we felt that. There are funds that are like we met with 75 LPs every week for five months and all this stuff. And it's just, I don't want to do that. That sounds horrible. Do I have to do that in order to succeed? And so you don't. And that's something that I think took me a good 10 months to really not know, but to put into practice into my day to day. That's awesome advice. Thank you both of you for all of your insights for this podcast and also just everything. I really appreciate you guys and your support of me and Girls CBC and all the impact that you're doing right now. I think it's incredible. Yeah. Thank you so much for having this. This has been amazing. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast and supporting Girls Who VC. Make sure to check out our website, girlswhovc.com and follow us on social media at Girls Who VC. See you next time.